Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School Podcast for September 11th, 2022. That's the 14th Sunday after Pentecost. And today we'll be looking at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. This is well known as the story of the Good Samaritan. It's often called the parable of the Good Samaritan, but Jesus doesn't call it that. Um, So we'll try to call it a story, but I might call it a parable anyway. But before we get to the text itself in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, there's a, a point that I should reinforce Again and again, really, and, and, and that is this. The Old Testament throughout teaches salvation by the grace of God. The Old Testament teaches that we're saved by grace just as much as the New Testament teaches that we're saved by grace. Some are under the impression that the Old Testament taught that we are saved by keeping the commandments, saved by our works, by works righteousness. And the New Testament, God switches things up with Jesus and suddenly we're saved by grace instead. Or some think that in the Old Testament, God is an angry God full of wrath. And then in the New Testament, God is a nice God who's, who's full of love. Um, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The triune God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God's plan for our salvation is always that we're saved by His grace, by His work for us. A couple of places where this is evident, just by way of example, is first, when God gives the Ten Commandments of all things in Exodus chapter 20. I've talked before about how um, the Old Testament never calls this the Ten Commandments, but calls it the Ten Words. In the New Testament, Jesus speaks of the commandments, but doesn't speak of ten of them. So the numbering of the commandments in Exodus chapter 20 is kind of up for grabs. Now, rather than review all of that right now, I just want to remind you that uh, that when the Jewish rabbis number the ten words in Exodus chapter twenty, the first word that they number is not a commandment. The first word is, "I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt." So the first word in Exodus 20 is not a word of law. It's not a work that you have to do to be saved. Rather, the first word is an announcement of God's deliverance for his people. And that puts the Ten Commandments in a slightly different light, maybe a hugely different light, because God isn't saying to Israel, here are my commandments if you keep my commandments then I will make you my people. He's saying, I've already made you my people. And so that you remain my people, keep these commandments. Now that means that they're God's people by his choosing, by his work, by his deliverance. And the commandments are, are given then to, to keep them safely as his people. An analogy I sometimes use is this. 
Let's say you're out in the middle of the ocean, your boat has sunk, you're treading water, you're about to drown, and all of a sudden a rescue boat pulls up and they haul you on, on board and, and now you're safe. And as they, they get you into warm clothes and throw a blanket around you and, and, and put some hot soup in your hands, they say, here's rule number one for your good. Don't jump off the boat back in the water. Right? So you're, you're saved fully, solely by their work of rescuing you. And now that you're rescued, you follow their instructions in order to stay rescued. This is what God does in Exodus 20. I've made you my people, O Israel. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Now, to stay my people, keep these commandments. Don't jump back off the boat. Stay on the boat. Keep following these commandments because that's what my people do. Likewise, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4, the Lord says, Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, that's the Canaanites out of the land, do not say in your heart, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. So, God gives Israel the promised land. Why? Not because of their righteousness, not because they have earned it, but because he's giving it to them. He's driving out the Canaanites as a judgment for their wickedness, and he is giving them the land because he has made them his people. Another example that God is doing these things, he's he's giving his gifts, not because people in the Old Testament have earned them, but because he delights to give. So, once again, before we get to the, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan, the Old Testament teaches that we are saved by the grace of God, not by our works. That message is a constant theme from the start of the Bible through the end. Doesn't begin with the New Testament. That's the constant teaching. We are saved by God's grace, not by our works. However, by the time Jesus is born of Mary, the Pharisees are the main religious teachers, and the Pharisees have fallen for the temptation to take the law of God and to to make it all about morality and about salvation by keeping the law. So rather than going with God saying, I've made you my people, now keep my laws to remain my people, the Pharisees Pharisees have shifted the emphasis to say, if you keep these laws, then God will make you his people. They've moved from becoming God's people because he chooses you to earning God's love by your works. They're teaching works righteousness, which is a constant temptation for sinners to fall into. So now we have the story of the Good Samaritan. And the setup for Jesus telling this story is he's approached by a lawyer. Now, this isn't like a civil attorney or criminal attorney. He's a pharisaical lawyer. He's one of the Pharisees, and his expertise is in 
the law of God, say the Levitical law, the book of Leviticus and, and all the laws, commands you find there, as well as the other laws the Pharisees and rabbis have established in order to, to um, encourage people to keep the law of God. So, for instance, the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God forbids the people of Israel in the Old Testament from working on the Sabbath. In fact, in the book of Numbers, a man is stoned to death for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. So the question arises, when does work begin? When am I doing too much so that I'm breaking the third commandment? And God doesn't give every detail on that. So the Pharisees dive in and they do so. So, for instance, how far can you walk before you've begun a journey, which is work? The Pharisees, the rabbis, they they figure out a number of steps that they think you can take on the Sabbath before you break the third commandment. Another rule they have in place is you shouldn't handle money on the Sabbath day. Why? It's not because God said thou shalt not handle money on the Sabbath day but because you use money to buy things and to sell things, which is work. If you can't handle money on the Sabbath, then you can't buy or sell, and therefore that keeps you from breaking the third commandment. So, this is the job of the lawyers, like the lawyer in our text. He's an expert in the law. He's an expert in applying the law of both God and the laws the Pharisees have made up to particular situations that come along. And now he approaches Jesus. So we begin in um, Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He, Jesus, said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, there's a tip-off in Luke right away that the lawyer is up to trick Jesus or to trap Jesus if he can, and that is the lawyer stood up to put him to the test. That word there translated, put him to the test, only one other has put Jesus to the test that way in the Gospel of Luke, and that was Satan in the wilderness. So Luke is already using words here to, to indicate, to hint to you and to me that, that this man is, is up to no good. His intentions are not great as he asks Jesus. And he asks a, uh, a works righteousness question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now Jesus responds, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, maybe the key question there is, how do you read it? How do you interpret the law? And this is what I was talking about in that kind of extended introduction about the Old Testament. Do you read the law as God has made you one of his people, and to remain his people, you keep the law? Or do you read the law as, if I keep enough of these commandments, then God will make me one of his people? Do you see God as a gracious God who saves you, then gives his law to keep you safe? Or do you see God as more of a demanding God who gives his law and says, if you keep this well enough, then 
you can be one of my people. So Jesus asked the man, how do you interpret the Torah? How do you interpret the teachings of the Old Testament? And we read in verse 27, the lawyer's answer, he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So the lawyer answers what the law says, although he doesn't really answer how he interprets the Old Testament, how he interprets the Torah. Now, Jesus himself elsewhere has said that this is a summary of the law, love God and love your neighbor. So does the lawyer really believe this to be true or has he heard Jesus say this and now he's parroting it back to Jesus to kind of tell the teacher what he wants to hear? We're not sure. At any rate, Jesus asked him two questions. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer gives him answer to the first question, but hasn't said yet how he reads it, how he interprets the law, how he views the law. In response, Jesus says to him in verse 28, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Now as a disciple, I'm sorry, as as the lawyer rather, hasn't really committed himself to how he interprets the Old Testament. Jesus answers a little bit ambiguous and, and, and trying to tease him out a little bit more. So if the lawyer is a legalist who believes that you become one of God's people by keeping God's commandments, then when Jesus says, do this and you will live, Jesus is saying, all right, if you believe you earn heaven by keeping the commandments then do these well enough, perfectly, and then you will live, which is an impossible task. If, on the other hand, the lawyer believes that God is gracious, he has already made him one of his people, and now he he does these commandments to stay on the boat, so to speak, um, then... um, then Jesus is saying, well, because God has already given you life, then keep fulfilling his commandments. Don't jump off the boat and you will live. You'll, you'll stay alive. So, so what does the lawyer believe? Is he the legalist, the works righteousness guy, or is, does he believe that God is gracious? Well, we know he's testing Jesus, and his second question betrays that he is, in fact, a legalist. Verse 29, but he... The lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So that's kind of a clue of where he's coming from. He wants to justify himself. He wants to declare himself not guilty, in other words. He wants to prove that he has kept God's law well enough to become one of his people. But he knows it's impossible to love everyone. And so he asks, Who is my neighbor? Could you, Jesus, narrow this down so that I know who I have to love and who I don't have to love? Because if I have a subset of humanity, maybe I can keep these commandments. Maybe I can keep them well enough to please God so that I can be saved. Now, as a lawyer, as a Pharisee, he's already got his list in mind. 
the lawyer's neighbors will not include outsiders like Gentiles, like manifest unrepentant sinners, like tax collectors and prostitutes, and his list will not include Samaritans. Those are not neighbors. Those are the people you don't associate with. On the other hand, the lawyer will consider the upstanding crowd like the priests, the Levites, the Pharisees. Those are his neighbors. So, as he seeks to justify himself, what he wants to hear is that as long as you're nice to the guys like you that you want to be nice to, then you've kept the law. To the question, who is my neighbor, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. It could very well be a parable. It could be a fictional story that Jesus makes up on the spot. could be based on real events, too. We simply don't know. But either way, um, we have here this story of, of the Good Samaritan. Jesus replied in verse 30, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, And he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, just a quick note here that really doesn't affect the main point of the story. Who is this man? We don't know. What is he like? We don't know. It's entirely possible that he's just a good man traveling from one city to the next, And he turns a corner and a bunch of guys jump him and beat him and rob him on the spot and leave. It could be he's not a great man. He falls in among robbers and joins them for a while, but there's no honor among thieves. And eventually they turn against him and strip him and beat him and leave him half dead alongside the road. Whatever the case, this man is in bad shape. He's left half dead. He's dying and he needs help. Back to the text. Verse 31, Jesus says, Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now remember, priests and Levites are going to be two of the neighbors that the lawyer kind of likes. They're not outsiders. They're, They're his kind of people. Now, the priest is in a tough spot because as a priest, he works at the temple. And priests who work at the temple have to be super careful that they do not defile themselves, that they do not make themselves unclean. And so they're bound to moral laws and the rest. So, for instance, in the Apocrypha, there's a book called Sirach, And Sirach has rules for the priests, including in Sirach chapter 12, a law that says to priests, do not go to the help of a sinner. Well, who is this man alongside the road? Is he a good man? Is he a manifest sinner? If he's an impenitent sinner, the priest is commanded not to go near him to help him. If the man appears dead, the priest is bound by Levitical law not to touch a dead body, lest he become unclean. And if an unclean priest goes to the temple and works at the altar, he renders the altar unclean and sacrifices can't be made and will not be received by God until the altar is, is, is sanctified by sacrifice uh, to cleanse it once again. So 
the priest comes along, the good neighbor of the lawyer, and he passes by on the other side. Rather than love his neighbor as himself, the the priest uh, chooses to go about uh, following the law of his vocation required by God and required by man, and he doesn't help the man who is in need. Next comes the Levite. Now, the Levite and the priest will both be from the tribe of Levi because all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. And so this Levite is from the same tribe of Israel, but he's of a lower rank. He doesn't work at the temple. He's probably not bound by the same laws as the priest was. However, being of lower rank, he doesn't want to challenge the priest's decision. So if the priest didn't go near the the battered man on, on the side of the road, the Levite doesn't either. So again, the Levite is one of the, uh, the lawyer's neighbors, but he doesn't show love for the beaten man either. Now, Jesus has told of a priest and of a Levite, and they might expect the next one to be kind of a, a layman of Israel. He has no sort of priestly function whatsoever, But it's not a Jew who comes to the aid of this man. The next one is a Samaritan. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeepers, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So after the priest fails to show love to the battered man, after the Levite fails to show love to the battered man, the Samaritan does a lot. He has compassion on the man, So he binds up his wounds, he puts them on his own animal, and then he leads this man on his own animal to an inn, which is just, it's it's a stark thing. It's a striking thing for a man to let somebody else onto his own animal and then to lead that that animal somewhere. It's, It's a great show of humility. Brings him to an inn, he prepays two days of care, Two denarii, then he says to the innkeeper, keep taking care of him. Whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. So it's the Samaritan, not the priest or the Levite, who shows this man help. Jesus then asks the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go, you go, and do likewise. Now, this is significant. Jesus has changed the question. The lawyer asked, Who is my neighbor? As in, who should I help? And if Jesus answers that question, and the answer is you should help those in need, then the beaten man should be the Samaritan who needs the help. 
But Jesus doesn't answer the question, who is my neighbor? Instead, he changes the question to, who proved to be the neighbor of the one who was beaten? And the neighbor is the one who shows compassion to the one who is in need. Jesus does this for a reason. The lawyer is saying, how many people and who are they do I need to help to keep God's law? And the lesson that Jesus gives to this man is, you're not the guy who can help others because you don't have the right faith. Because you don't have the right faith, you're the beaten man on the side of the road who needs help because you need mercy of God. You need salvation. You need God's help so you might trust in a God who is gracious and who makes you his own by his work, by his grace. Before you can be the neighbor who helps others, you have to be the neighbor, the beaten man who is helped. So Jesus takes this question about how can I do enough to be saved and turns it into You need to be saved before you can do anything pleasing to God. That's a significant lesson of salvation by grace right there. But it's even better than that. Because there are several key words as Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan that we should note. First off, the Samaritan passing by has compassion on the beaten and battered man. And that word compassion there is, is it's a significant word. It's, it's not just, I, I feel bad, but it's like this, this, this gut feeling of, of, of empathy. This, this Samaritan is compelled by, by care for the beaten man to help him. And this word for compassion is not used of very many in the New Testament. It's used uh, of several people in parables. It's used here, the Good Samaritan. He is compassion on the battered man. It's used in the parable, the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18, where the master, the unmerciful servant, has compassion upon him and forgives him his unpayable debt. It's used of the father, the prodigal son. When he saw his son returning, he had compassion and ran to him. And the rest of the time, this word for compassion is only used of Jesus. And so when the Samaritan has compassion, it's a hint that the Samaritan here symbolizes Jesus because Jesus is the outsider. The lawyer doesn't consider him to be a good neighbor. The lawyer considers him a threat to the Pharisees in his way of life. So the lawyer views Jesus like he would Samaritans, sinners, and Gentiles, an outsider not to be be helped. But yet Jesus says here that as a Samaritan has come to help the battered man in the story, so Jesus, the outsider, has come to help battered sinners be saved. So Jesus comes to those battered by sin, half dead, can't help themselves, He's the one who, uh, who binds up wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And with a Samaritan, took the battered man to an inn and said, I'm paying two days up front and I'll pay the rest when I get back. Essentially, the Samaritan is saying, I've got to go away, but I'll be back on the third day. 
And of course, how does Jesus save sinners? He's crucified. He's gone for two days. Then he's back on the third day to, uh, to, to give out his, his, his gifts of forgiveness and life and salvation. He, he pays all that needs to be paid for us to be saved. So the good Samaritan in the story is Jesus, the outcast who has compassion and, 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 and does all that needs to be done to save those who are battered and left for dead. We should note, too, that, uh, that perhaps it's no coincidence that in the story that Jesus tells, it happens, between, it happens on the road between Jericho and Jerusalem. And that, of course, is, is the last journey that Jesus takes before his crucifixion. And that as the, the battered man has fallen among robbers, so Jesus is crucified between robbers because he takes the place of sinners, dies in the place of the battered, suffers God's judgment for their sins so that they might have eternal life. Jesus is the good Samaritan. You are the battered neighbor. He heals you. He saves you. And now you can be his instruments of mercy and help to others. What a great story of, of, of both God's mercy and, and his, his gifts for us to be merciful to others as well. And with that, we conclude our look at the story of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. Um, God grants you his blessing as you meditate upon this text more. God grants you every good gift as you're teaching this to others. And until we speak again, the, uh, the Lord order your days and your deeds in his peace. Amen.